Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sun Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. Ellen Becker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building, and also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building across from Winkies. We also serve as clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. Visit ellenbecker.com for more details. My guest today is Mike Sinkbile, partner at ShoreTech LLP, a CPA and business consulting firm in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Today, we're gonna to talk about information security. That's relating from us and our ind individual information to how businesses control and handle our information and even beyond. So thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. Yeah, thanks, Heather. Yeah, we're, we're just down the road from you. My firm is uh, about a 10 minutes south of you on 164. So we're neighbors. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So let's um, kind of jump in. Uh, if you want to share your background and the work that you do for clients and, and for the community at ShoreTech. Sure. Um, I've been an IT geek uh, my whole life, as my parents like to say. So um, my IT career professionally is over 25 years, uh, most of which uh, I've been here at ShoreTech. So uh, I head up the managed services practice here at ShoreTech. So we are the outsourced IT department for our clients that use that service. Um, so cybersecurity is something we live every day. Uh, of course, it's part of all of what we do at ShoreTech because we have a lot of sensitive information for our clients. So uh, the, the CPAs that work on tax and audit work uh, also are very keenly aware of cyber uh, concerns. And, you know, same for our firm as well, as you can imagine, as our listeners and, and our clients know, too, that we house sensitive information and we take a lot of responsibility for that. You know, that's, that has so many follow on effects. If, if there is everything, anything that happens at a business or a firm or a store, um, you know, if you want to maybe even give us some some background on that what feels like an increased accountability, rightfully so, you know, for businesses around information security and even the preparedness by them. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a topic we're kind of used to hearing about all the time. The headlines, plenty of stories there about um, hacking events that affect consumers and businesses, uh, small businesses especially, they're big time targets these days, but uh, not as it just that the bad guys doing the hacking these days, there's a trend that I'm seeing uh, where um, businesses are holding their vendors accountable. So now as a business owner, uh, we have to be aware of our expectations of our customers, not just holding ourselves accountable. Uh, we've got clients who are asking for help with cyber uh, concerns because their customers are saying, what is your cybersecurity program? Or they're uh, giving them literally an underwriting checklist. Hey, we need you to do th these things for our data that you're, you're caretakers of. So um, really, as any consumer, we should be holding our vendors accountable to that. Uh, and individuals, it's kind of hard to, to have such a checklist that you 
uh, give to, to your vendors or ask them for their cybersecurity reports uh, or summaries of what they do in, in their business to protect your information. But some businesses do that. You can actually look for that information in, in public uh, forums. Um, the, the businesses uh, that have their act together, so to speak, they have uh, certain audit information or summaries of what they do to protect data and uh, protect this, their ability to do a service for you or their ability to keep your information safe. Some of the examples would be a, a SOC uh, report, SOC report. Uh, that's pretty technical information in there, but if somebody has a SOC report, it does mean that they've been audited for their cybersecurity uh, programs. So, and, and I do want to define that cybersecurity program is a little bit of a mouthful, but any business owner should know what that is. And that is uh, that you're an ongoing process is happening in your business to monitor uh, those cyber risks out there for what you do, specifically what you do in your company. So, and then what are you continually doing to address those things? So it's, it's not just a run through a checklist and I'm done. It's mm -hmm. just part of running a business these days. And I like how you mentioned the word audit, you know, so much that's thinking that you're getting caught doing something, <laughs> right? Like an IRS audit, but really that's just having a healthy, you know, uh, robust, like double check, triple check, where yeah. you have somebody come and really look at your processes and procedures. Yeah, that's a really good point. And being at a CPA firm, uh, the, the word audit has special meaning here in this industry, uh, audit has a very high standard definition and, it means that uh, you're checking to make sure that processes and controls are in place. So um, I like to use the word assessment. That's a great starting point. If you're a business that isn't required to have audits, uh, you should just assess where you are. Um, so that would involve a checklist. And sometimes those checklists are pretty technical. Um, sometimes they're too short. Sometimes they're too long. So uh, there's some very standard ones out there. Um, so I will drop a couple acronyms. Uh, there's a federal agency called NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. They make a nice uh, list that you could use as a, as a regular business, uh, a small or medium-sized business. They make a couple of different lists. Uh, one of them is called the Cybersecurity Framework. And then another one that's newer uh, has a neat little acronym CMMC. If you're a manufacturer or if you work with uh, the federal government at all, you probably already heard of CMMC, and that just uh, that's a, a list of 109, 110 controls that um, you have to be compliant with if you're going to sell to the Department of Defense. Um, and it's a nice, simple list. I like that one best personally because it's pass fail every single one of them. You just have to have the whole list, and if you don't, you make a plan and a timeline for what it's going to take to do the rest of the missing items. So it doesn't mean you have to have them all day one. It means you have to assess them. And now you're compliant with CMMC. So if you have a federal contract for the Department of Defense, or if one of your customers says, what is your cybersecurity program? You can say, we use the CMMC standard and we assess ourselves. And here's our plan of action to get them all completed. So... What might, what are like some examples of some of the pass fails that would be on, I, on sure. a checklist similar to that? Yeah, that 100, 100 plus controls is a long number. Uh, you think <laughs> it's going to be daunting, but many of them are, are a really obvious ones, such as uh, each person logging into the computer system has a unique login. Not a big deal. Yeah. Most companies right. have been doing that for years, but we've seen that in the past where it was just easier to have everybody in shipping log in as shipping. Well, uh, you need to change that. Uh, 
Other ones that are a little more advanced these days, but are also you, you do them and you've got them would be multi-factor authentication. So if you've seen that where uh, you're logging into your Google account and it wants to send you a text to make sure it's really you after you've given them the password, that's multi-factor authentication. Uh, that one is just a huge one these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, we've seen that one where um, businesses aren't even allowed to have a cybersecurity insurance policy until they have multi-factor authentication everywhere. So I'm talking the moment you log on your computer in the morning, you put your password in and you hit OK on your phone to authenticate that it is really you. And we have that here for for our computers and and really all of our systems. And I it gives me a lot of comfort and peace knowing that you well, know, no one can log that's in. My favorite, that's my favorite you. cybersecurity control. So I'm a true geek because I have a favorite cybersecurity control, but multi-factor <laughs> authentication for sure is it, yeah. That's great. You mentioned um, be, getting an insurance policy that a, a business, obviously it's on the business side. Yes. You know, what, what do, what's a typical thing that that insures them for? In like what way are they insured? Well, as with any insurance policy, you're transferring risk. So it doesn't mean you just get to get out of jail free card and you don't have to do anything to prevent uh, risks from happening. So property risk, you're going to have to have locks on the doors. Well, with cyber risk, you're going to have to take some, some steps to make sure that information is kept safe. So their underwriting process checks to make sure you have certain controls in place. And if you say you have something and don't, don't be surprised if you don't get a claim uh, uh, filled from the insurer. So, um, so the, the, the purpose of transferring the risk, uh, typically it's going to cover uh, the direct cost and the indirect costs. So if you have a hacking event, um, you, you would contact the insurance company and start the claim process as soon as you possibly find out about it. Often they'll have resources they will bring to you for instant response. So cybersecurity instant response is a special field in IT. And uh, they basically run the fire trucks over virtually. I mean, they call and, and help you out and uh, try to just determine the scope of what happened and uh, try to recover uh, as quick as they can. Um, so what are the other direct possible direct process? Well, data might have been lost. Uh, maybe there is, heaven forbid, a ransom that's been demanded. If you have good uh, preventative measures and good backups, you won't be subject to those uh, ransoms. But um, uh, then also the notification requirements, those are very important. There's legal requirements that vary by state as far as what you have to do to notify your customers about what happened. And uh, those are that's very expensive. You add that all up, uh, a, a few cents even per record, and it, it costs yeah. thousands of dollars to notify people. Uh, so that's the tip of the iceberg. We could do a whole show on the insurance t- uh, topic for sure. <laughs> that was that's great though. That that's some things that you know ransomware you hear about that um, helping to offset the cost of notification. You know, we recently got a letter in the mail about some data breach there was. You know, on one of our personal accounts somewhere. And, and yeah, yeah, that's true. It was a printed piece of mail had, you know, they had to do something to get that to us. They also are offering some additional services because of that. But, but like yeah. you said, that's kind of a different topic too, but mm-hmm. right now let's take a quick break and we will return in just a moment. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor, and my guest today is Mike Sinkbio of SureTech LLP. We're discussing information security, cybersecurity, and different risks around those topics. So, Mike, if you want to maybe go over what are some of the other trends? We talked a bit about, say, insurance policies. We talked about also my personal favorite, as well as yours, the multi-factor authentication. What are some other things that maybe we're not, maybe we are familiar with or aren't familiar with as around how businesses are approaching like information security through technology? Yeah, some technology trends are actually um, operational, but they're affecting cybersecurity. So one that uh, everybody's probably heard of is the cloud. So uh, my, my IT team is there uh, has a favorite phrase to say that the cloud is really just someone else's computer. And that is true. So um, as you're using these IT services and these magical things and apps and putting your data all over this digital world, uh, you have to remember that uh, Facebook and all these portals that you use for financial management, uh, those all have computer backends and many, many people involved in keeping that information safe, uh, but they're, they're people, so they're not perfect. And those hackers are really motivated uh, to get access to information, to steal identities. Um, and so all it takes is one flaw. The bad guys just need to be right once. And so that, so that trend is continuing that the good guys need to be right a lot and put a lot of tools and effort into keeping things safe. Um, to some extent, it's kind of like that analogy of uh, the bad guys are going to just try to check the doors that are unlocked and you know break into those places that don't have good locks on them. But you can't rely on that because uh, there's people in the equation at the business and pers personal level too. You can be tricked. Um, and that's a common attack is not to figure out a super tricky way to get in past the firewall or do some cool stuff like you see in the movies that uh, hackers do coding or any of that. They, they just make a phone call or send a phishing email, one of those fake emails to trick people into giving away credentials, their logins. So um, one major, major trend as we certainly uh, experienced during the pandemic was a big shift to very mobile work and consumers, of course, we've been mobile for years. Uh, smartphones are here to stay. And um, so that really put a big push in, and, and focus on cybersecurity strategy changes. Um, so the, the trend towards the cloud for businesses, I'd say I directly experienced the shift uh, over my career. Uh, many of my clients uh, have bought their last server. They've literally bought the, the last equipment they're going to need to have in-house. So those cool analogies I've heard over the years, uh, the early days of electricity, you'd have uh, little power plants um, right in your factory or just down the street. Now we're just, we're just used to having a couple of big power plants throughout the state and that's it. Well, that shift is generally happening with computing. Um, so you don't need a server in your office anymore. You, you are connecting to multiple uh, data service vendors. You're getting there via the utility connection, your internet connection that, uh, that gets you out to the internet. And what you do from there is on you as far as how safely you get to the system. So it always starts with the thing that's in front of you. So the computer that you're using to get on the network uh, has to be secured. 
so we stick to very strong standards for our clients that when we're outsourcing IT management, you may think, well, servers are going away. What are you guys doing with all that free time? Well, there's increased complexity, if anything else, because we have all these cloud vendors we're, we're managing and uh, really keeping a handle on, on a consistent management approach of technology for a business is even more complex than it's ever been. So, um, so as your data gets distributed all over the place, I think that's, that's something that goes right with mobility and you need to be watching where all that data is put. It's easy as consumers, you just use these things and hope that you're safe. Well, in business, there's more liability than just you at stake and uh, you have to be much more careful. So, uh, well, and like you said, like as the consumer, right? Like I'm choosing where I'm putting my information, but for our clients, they're trusting us with their information. They're relying on us to keep it safe and secure, you know, and we commit to them that we're keeping it safe and secure as with all the businesses that your firm works with too. They've all made those commitments to, to their clients um, and expect that also from their vendors. You know, I think um, you, like you mentioned the, the servers going away, that's true. You know, you walk through an office now, think about the, big data closet or, you know, the data closets there used to be or data centers there used to be. And now those have either gotten much smaller um, or like you've said, they go away altogether. There's not that closet that you look in with the stack of devices with a million cords, or to me, it looked like a million cords always. I'm not the, I mean, I might be a nerd, but I'm not the, you know, on the IT side. Spaghetti. (laughs) Right, right. And I think um, having those standards and, and, being stringent with that with your staff and, you know, really have them make that commitment for how, like when we are mobile, you know, there's a, there's a lot more than just, oh, I just need an internet connection, right? That's even more important than we make sure that it's a safe internet connection. That's just on, you know, from my, again, not, not the IT lens, just more on how I personally do my mobile work. Yes. Yes. Um, So just being careful uh, at all, every step of the way and don't just, don't forget that when you put information into a cloud or a portal or website that it's going somewhere. Um, so you, you're responsible for making sure that it's going somewhere safe uh, to the best of your ability. Um, so the, the, the vendors on the other end, the, especially the folks who are motivated by getting consumers uh, to use their service when it's free, you're, you're the product. So your information and, what you are uh, putting into the system is uh, what the vendor's harvesting. So that's how you're paying. Uh, Facebook, a great example of that, social media. Uh, so they'll show ads to you and they'll harvest your behavior and sell that data to uh, the highest bidder. So uh, you just have to be careful uh, that they try to make it addicting and easy to start using and easy to put information in there and easy to get a lot of invested time and process and data into these different clouds so that they keep you there. Uh, even Microsoft, Microsoft's one of our preferred cloud vendors for businesses. Uh, they're innovating and adding new features to try to increase their presence in your business. Uh, they try to make their pricing competitive, but once, you, once you're reliant on their solution they have you and it's hard to switch and so they've just raised prices now for the first major time in um, recent cloud history so uh, that's going to happen that's going to keep going 
you know, when you were talking too about um, the bad guys, <laughs> you know, and how what they want to do, and then uh, maybe not so much preventative measures, but like testing measures, right? Like how safe are you really? Yeah. You know, you hear about, well, I've heard about things like that, like a big, like hackathon. You know, what are, do companies do that? Do cloud server vendors do those yeah. things? Yes, uh, they do a couple of things uh, that I really like to see the, the bug bounty. I don't know if you've heard of that, but uh, if you are a company that makes software or has uh, a cloud that uh, you want people to put data in or a portal, uh, or, or you write even gaming software or or programs that are installed on your computer. Uh, Microsoft has bug bounties. Apple has bug bounties. They're basically paying the good guy hackers to try to break in or find flaws in their software. And then uh, they'll pay big dollars, a uh, quarter million dollars for a really good bug. Uh, so there's professionals that that's, that's wow. all they do. So the good guy hackers, that's what they do all day. Um, so companies often will hire also other good guy hackers to do uh, penetration testing. So just like it sounds, try to get in, try to break through. Um, so depending on what you're doing there, again, if you're, uh, especially if you are a software or a web developer, um, you're pretty used to that process of having penetration testing exercises. Some companies have whole departments, uh, not only operational IT, but uh, cybersecurity IT, and then IT auditing, literally all these different departments just uh, in, in, within one company. So, uh, but having a third party check is is very, very common these days. Uh, that audit that I mentioned, SOC, if you're a data processing company, uh, web hosting company, you almost certainly have a SOC report. And uh, those minimum costs are well into the six figure range, 20 to $30,000 for a a SOC audit. Uh, so it's it's uh, not a lightweight uh, yeah. audit process. I mean, that shows a lot of commitment, right, from that company right. who wants to make sure that they're keeping your data safe. So some of these things, you know, like I'm not making these types of decisions, you know, with the company that I work for, but I am a consumer. And so right. if I know more about the other places where, you know, that hold my data and this, this conversation we're having is helpful to kind of know like things to pay attention to or to maybe research in, in any of their reporting. So this is, this has been yeah. helpful. And, and sure. your firm and our firm and most businesses have support from their vendors. So don't be shy to ask that question. Now, you may not know the techie language of what to ask, but uh, it's certainly in their interest to not be hacked and to prove to you that they're uh, very safe to, to keep using their service. So usually they have a lot of helpful information. They're not just going to fling a SOC report at you and let you just read it on your own. Uh, if you ask your sales rep or you ask your IT company, and it's one of the key values we bring to our clients is that we manage the vendor. That's part of managing a vendor is advocating for the business owners and, oper and managers and operators uh, helping them translate. So the, what they're worried about in their business and what, what is the risk on the IT side and let's have our vendor step up and uh, help us stay safe. Yeah, that's true. So right now we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, you know, I'd like to maybe even branch a little bit more into the personal side of this, you know, for our own like individual data or how we do our work in, you know, this, like some of the hybrid work environments that we're in. So in just a few moments, we'll be right back. 
Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor at Ellen Becker Investment Group. And my guest today is Mike Sinkbile of SureTech LLP, a CPA and business consulting firm locally here in Wisconsin. So Mike, we've already kind of gone through a couple of things that are pretty much on the business side of, of looking at information security. So if we want to maybe turn and talk more about, you know, even from going from business to personal, and I mean, really even like in our work, you know, where there's a lot of um, work at home, you know, especially since the shutdown in 2020, where work from home became much more prevalent, extended out possibly for a few years now, and maybe forever for some people or for some businesses. You know, what have you seen around information security and its impact on, we've talked a bit about work or businesses, but that like home life in regards to work. Yeah, uh, we helped our clients navigate that big shift during the uh, pandemic. And I'd say many were well prepared and many weren't. Uh, being in IT and uh, being a firm with mobile workforce, uh, we've got employees, full-time employees, long-term full-time employees of the firm that have worked from Fox Valley, from uh, Atlanta uh, for many years. So just something we did all the time. So. Uh, we kind of had to fast track some of those technology shifts for some of our clients who were a little less prepared. Uh, but it was really interesting to see, even if you had all those cool tools, uh, many people just hadn't used them because they just like, you know, maybe they're only a 10 minute drive from the office and they just mm -hmm. like being here. And I, I understand that. Uh, that's one of the main values of being at work with your colleagues is collaboration and uh, teamwork. So, um, so forcing everybody to be mobile and remote was more stressful uh, for some than others, not, not so much here at Tortec. Um, so it really, by industry, very, very different. Of course, manufacturers, it was very difficult because you had to get in to make things in a, in using certain tools and machines uh, in most cases. So that was extra challenging for them. Um, and it also just really depends on the culture. So though it was possible to work from home and and technically easy to do. Uh, I'd say that there was probably a little bit of a stigma. People people use the phrase these days of I'm going to work from home such such day and, and nobody bats an eye usually and, and most mm -hmm. companies uh, we're working with. So, uh, but putting a policy around it is a good idea. Uh, we did that at Chartech, uh, documented what we're expecting. Uh, so productivity expectations for when you're at home, having an environment that works for, for working from home, uh, that's something that the company needs to have. And then the plus for the employee is that they get a little more flexibility. They're more comfortable, perhaps. I think we have pretty comfortable office here, but the only people like just for a change of scenery, they have a certain amount of work to get done in the week. And if they get it to do it from a different place, some people really find that rewarding. So, and depending on what they're doing, um, it may have very little impact in the fact that they're home versus in the office. Uh, even people that were just down the hall from us uh, in, in the past may have been connected to the same exact way, Zoom, Teams, messaging, mm -hmm. email, and uh, we may not have walked down there anyway to say hi. So uh, hardly anything lost for working from home. But there's certainly trade-offs. There's a the little magic that happens, you know, when the drive by, walk by, uh, saying hi, and 
a uh, little expression of personal interest. I think that's one of my regrets and concerns about that trend. And we'll just see how this all shakes out in the long term. But uh, you have to be deliberate to check in with people when they're uh, working somewhere else because it's not automatic that you're going to have a quick huddle uh, over Zoom or Teams in the morning. You have to be intentional about it. So we do that uh, regularly here at Short Tech. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned um, how you had remote workers and will continue to have remote workers even before um, the, the shutdown. You know, personally at my house, my husband had has worked from home um, since 2004. <laughs> and so, you know, for him, it just meant more people at home when me and the kids were both, you know, had to go home for, you know, online school and, and, and to work from home for that for that bit uh, before we worked things out to come back to the office, you know, but something that it drove here at our firm, and I think a lot of different places too, was just realizing that having that flexibility really helps with just employee satisfaction, you know, recruiting and retention. We implemented dream schedules here. So again, with a policy of it's got to be worked out with your team, with your workflow, that if you want to work from home on this particular day every week, that you know you can just manage your schedule around that. Not everyone's taking advantage of the work from home day, so maybe it's more of they want to come in a little later, work a little later, do do longer hours, and just to fit things, what makes sense for them. And and again, you know, really being able to take advantage of technology in that way is yeah. is so helpful with the understanding and that expectation. And like you said, policies, um, procedures and security around it, right? Yeah, because we, we I, to can't go just go, yeah. I can't go pop into a Starbucks and get on their free Wi-Fi, right? <laughs> right? Like that's, I can't do client work like that. That's, that's completely unsafe, you know, for our client data and protection. Yeah, pretty much it's safe to say that uh, increased security usually means decreased uh, convenience. So um, yeah. Yeah, those those points, you have to have uh, policies for consistency, but not policies for policy's sake. Uh, so we, we've seen the same. It, it's very important that we are an attractive place to work. Uh, and part of that is being you know, truthful about the work-life balance and really putting our money where our mouth is. So work-life balance to some people, it's more important that they have flexibility to work from home or from the office. Some people it's uh, preferred to be in the office because it's just uh, really noisy at home and a lot going on and uh, they prefer to be in the office. So it's different for different people. That's just very interesting to see. Um, and yeah. so we can't have it be a free for all. That's why the policy is there for at least some consistency. Um, but another cultural shift I've seen that I think is really interesting over the years Email became ingrained and critical to communication and maybe way overused I'm almost everywhere I've seen it. <laughs> but uh, that cultural expectation of you, you need to be responding to your emails all the time, really, really quickly. Uh, somehow it was okay to sleep, you know, during third shift, I guess, but uh, depending on the business, <laughs> maybe not. Um, right. We've really pushed back, especially uh, at Chortech, that uh, we need to manage the work, not the other way around. It's not going to manage our people. So, um, so simple expectations and no uh, guilt trips or pressure for when emails are turned around uh, the next day. That is, that is expectation. Just next day, um, if you're going to be out, set the out of office so people do know you're out. 
um, and always have some information about how people can get help now, you know, during business hours, if you're yeah. expected to be tied up, but uh, there, there's, I like that there's more tools now, chat and uh, messaging um, evolved from the texting on cell phones and uh, it's uh, now just commonplace part of work. What do you, you don't even really think about it in most places that have it and use it. Do I use Teams to chat to somebody or do I use an email? Well, it just naturally kind of quick questions go to texts and uh, to the messaging and Teams and longer stuff or for the record or uh, more detail goes over into the uh, good old fashioned email or to the Teams uh, and SharePoint workflows. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is a lot of different communication or ways to communicate that are going to continue to evolve, you know, and, and, you know, for certain businesses or industries, the compliance around it, you know, that actual, like, like I can't text clients to talk about their um, portfolios or what, or anything for their financial things. And I don't text clients at all because we, we can't, it's not, it's not managed that way. It's not stored in a, in a compliant yeah, way. The phone is laying on the kitchen table. You know, you don't know. Right. Yeah. Yep. There's no record of it. So with emails, you know, they're all captured in a different way, you know, with all of our security around that from the compliance side of it and the regulatory side of it. So you're right. There's a lot of different things that may, that may um, be ahead to make some changes on that too. Yeah. Business specific for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we're going to take another short break. And then, you know, when we come back, I'd, I'd like to really focus just on the, on the individual personal, what should we be doing? How do we stay safe and strong and healthy from an information security perspective? So with that, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor, and my guest today is Mike Sankfile of SureTech LLP. And we are talking about keeping your information safe, whether it's businesses or with businesses or now, as we are going to touch on, as you as an individual. And what can we do to have the best habits and, and personal security on this? So, Mike, why don't you give us your insights and ideas for that? Sure, that could be its own full uh, conversation, but I have a few points to make that are top top hits. So good old password hygiene uh, mm-hmm. is one of my favorite topics when people are talking about personal information security. So password hygiene, just like uh, hygiene takes care of your health, uh, password hygiene takes care of your information security. So prevents inf- information theft or identity theft and uh, Certain types of information, if bad guys get a hold of it, they can impersonate you or take over other accounts. Uh, we've evolved quite a bit in the protection that companies are, are giving us, uh, banks and credit card companies, and even the good old IRS, they're on to the uh, bad guys trying to fill a, file a, a tax refund request before you file your actual tax return to try to sneak away that mm-hmm. tax refund. Uh, the IRS has extra controls in place now to try to prevent that. But any one of those things is just a real big hassle and waste of your time, um, if not loss of uh, your hard-earned dollars. Uh, I got plenty of stories of that where these uh, fraudster events, hack events, have literally taken people's nest egg and impacted mm-hmm. when they're going to retire. 
I mean, this is real, real stuff. So yeah, it's, it's not that hard to at least have the discipline of having a unique password to each system. So you wouldn't have the same physical key for your car, for your house, for your uh, boat house, you know, all these different things. Yeah. It's not the same key. Well, same thing should apply for your uh, passwords used for your digital life. Uh, so you'll need some help with that. You can't just make up a really good unhackable password uh, off the top of your head every single website and remember it all. That's why we have computers in my opinion. Um, so let's use them for that. Uh, I like to use the password apps that are out there. Uh, I like to pay for a password app instead of letting Apple or Google take care of it for me. At this point, it's still not mature enough technology and uh, bad guys are hacking password lists that are stored in those companies. So just to just to address that question right up front. Mm -hmm. um, if you do have Google Chrome, which many of us use for website browsing, and it offers to save your password and it stores it in your Google account, is it your work Google account or your personal Google, Google account? Make sure you're careful about that. If you're using Google at work and you're using your personal login into the web browser, your work passwords are being saved in your personal Google accounts. So that is a, a big no-no uh, mm -hmm. company policy at ShortTech. So, um, best practice there for sure. Just don't let those browsers save your passwords for you. I know it's easy, but easy is not always safe. So right. those password apps that you pay for, uh, there's a, a few of them I'll drop the names of, uh, one password, the digit one and the word password. LastPass is a famous one, LastPass, and then Dashlane is another one out there. There's, there's lots of them. Uh, we recommend one password to our business customers because they have a nice uh, password vault system that you can use at work. And then one of the perks of having it at work, you can have four free personal accounts for your own vaults at home and for the kids, uh, whatever, whatever you need. So up to four. Um, but you have one good password to get into the vault and then you store all of your website passwords and uh, anything. You need serial numbers for the washing machine and dishwasher. I, I put all that stuff in there. Your social security numbers, you can put anything that you just don't want to forget uh, into this password safe and then you have it handy and you can look it up when you need it. And it stays in sync with your mobile device, uh, with your uh, laptop, desktop, what have you uh, via web browser. So uh, that's using the cloud to its you know, its maximum uh, uh, capability. Uh, it's also a safe vault because even the password companies themselves can't open and look at the passwords. They need your key, that's the last piece, to actually mm. decrypt the passwords and use them. So uh, they're very safe. Yeah, I've not used... Um... I've not used one of those. I, I do know people that have. They've been very happy with them. I am I use a pen and paper. Oh, I use, and paper, I use yeah. a pen that, and paper. I have a, a password book that um that's that, very secure. Just don't lose it. <laughs> just don't lose it. I know. Don't tell anybody yeah. where it is. Right. <laughs> but that's you know, when we went through and cleaned up all of our open like accounts everywhere. And I'm not saying like financial accounts, but the different things that you sign up for, for a login, maybe some subscription things for the kids when they were getting, you know, the, the mystery boxes that would be sent. And um, that was a, a really big effort. Some of the accounts that felt like we could not close yeah. to save our life, you know, it didn't have any important information. We never stored a credit card out there, but still like, that means that like, 
we have a presence there with some information yes. that's important yeah. that we really don't want the security of that company putting any of our information at risk. Every individual has a digital trail out there, whether we like it or not. And um, if you make a unique password on every single interaction out there, uh, you'll be safer uh, because if the bad guys get one password, they're uh, only going to break that one site. They're not going to use it again to try the bank, try the uh, all the other places you have your digital life. I'm just checking my password app, and I've got uh, over 1,400 passwords in there. Just uh, some of it's serial numbers and stuff, but um, most of it's passwords because I probably used the site once or twice to uh, to see if it was worth keeping using. And of course, they want you to log in and make an account. And so I auto-generated an account there. Oh, and one key tip, I really like using this. If you are a Google email user for personal use, mm -hmm. uh, if you put the uh, your email address in, in a special way, you can find out if um, any website is giving your email address out and uh, using it for spam. So uh, so my personal email address has my first part and then it's at gmail.com. If you put the first part with a plus and then whatever else you want, and then at gmail.com, it's going to work as your email address and it works just the same. It, the message will still come to your main inbox. But if you said uh, your normal email address plus website one, two, three at gmail.com. Now, if you see some spam message come in with that as the two, you know that the... Yep. Uh, jokers over at website one, two, three, were giving away your password or they got hacked. You know, it's pretty useful information. That is useful. Yeah, that's a great, a great tip. Yep. That, I hadn't thought. Right, right. That's great. That's awesome. Um, you know, one last uh, thing you had mentioned um, when we were catching up before the show, like about preparing for like your digital legacy. Yes. So like, yes, uh, just best practice, just like the password hygiene. Uh, make sure that your heirs uh, don't have a tough time um, if you aren't around to give them your passwords or give them access to all of this stuff. So the password vault, it's a key piece of information that uh, if you don't give them the key to that vault, uh, it's locked out. It's safe for a reason and it's not hackable. So um, in a safe place, in a written place, most likely uh, you should document that and put it in a safe somewhere that the uh, errors are going to know how to get to it. Of course, you have to have a level of trust you're giving away that access for the worst case scenario. Um, but uh, that, that's one key step. Also, for some of the digital, if you have a lot of investment in one of those ecosystems, like the Apple, you know, if, if it's all Apple devices in your family, probably best that uh, you do share the uh, legacy contact connection. That's a new function that most of the big uh, cloud providers have where you can designate somebody as the, if you aren't available anymore, they get access or are allowed to get into your account uh, after a certain number of days or with a special code that you can again, keep safe and then they can kind of unlock your yeah. uh, uh, Apple world. Now there's limitations to that. They don't let you just have everything. They let you have certain things with that legacy kind of tact. Um, so just a few best practices there. Yeah, thank you. Something that people don't always think about. Yeah. Well, Mike, this has been great. Thank you so much for the information and the conversation. And um, if anyone wants to reach you to learn more, um, sure. is there a way to contact you best? Yeah, a couple of uh, contacts, the the Chortech website, all of our uh, people and resources are available at the chortek.com. 
and um, you could reach me uh, probably the easiest old fashioned way would be uh, phone, which would be 262-522-8248. That's great. Thank you so much. Sure. And um, Money Sense airs on Saturdays from 2 to 3 p.m. and on Sundays from noon to 1 p.m. Uh, if you like today's show and want to know more, you know, please visit www.allenbecker.com or call us the old-fashioned way um, at 262-691-3200. And, you know, I hope that today's conversation has made a difference in your personal and financial well-being.